Today on Podcast by the Bay, the San Mateo Republican Party Chair, John Boyle. My, in fact, my outgoing advice um, to, to my colleagues on council was, you know, I think it's okay, it's fine, it's in fact probably preferred to critique each other's decisions uh, and positions, but you want to keep it to the decisions and the positions and the actions, not to the personalities. Discussing all sorts of local issues, including housing, transportation, an insight into the Republican Committee of San Mateo. And if, if I can, let me just explain, you know, we probably were going to go into this anyway, but the, the core mission of the Central Committee, and, and I think, by the way, the other parties' Central Committees are, are similar, um, it, it's to focus on local elections, and it's to focus on trying to engage more local people, and specifically, in our case, Republicans, to run for office. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for downloading the show. And today, we actually have a very special show. And today is actually something that I think we do here at Podcast by the Bay. And that's really bringing in different opinions, different perspectives to really understand people, to really listen and to hear different sides of the story. And so today... We are actually going to feature an exclusive interview with the San Mateo chair of the Republican Party, John Boyle. And so, Patrick, you actually met John Boyle. You reached out to him. Can you give us a little bit of background, uh, who John Boyle is, and actually how do we get to interview him? Yeah, um, John Boyle um, um, was introduced to me by uh, Mark Watson. Um, and Mark Watson's an attorney in Burlingame. He's also very active in the Republican Party. Uh, as well as the uh, Linda Kelly. Linda Kelly is the third vice president uh, for the party, um, a former council and mayor. Deborah Wilder was also very active in the Republican Party, too. Uh, and and uh, John Boyle is uh, very well educated at back East. I had a great opportunity to interview him in his home. Uh, he was very cordial. Um, we talked about issues. Um, um, you know, he was also on the city council for the city of Menlo Park. Um, he's, he's a business man. He also works on nonprofits. Uh, very inspirational, very go-getter. Um, I think when you take a look at the Republican web, website for San Mateo County, which is San Mateo County Republican Party, you see feature pictures of uh, Abraham Lincoln, Ronald Reagan. Uh, um, you've got upcoming events there, too. Um, you also have our, our current president, uh, President Trump, who's there. Um, we didn't talk about party ideology. We talked about solutions. We talked about problems on the peninsula. We talked about housing. We talked about teachers. We talked about, um, we talked about the Wiener Bill. Um, and and uh, it, it, it was an inspiration to have an opportunity to talk to such a dedicated person. We may have not agreed on a lot of stuff, but to our listeners... We are there just to get information so you can make informed decisions. We're going to be looking forward, hopefully, to have somebody from the Green Party or the Libertarian Party come speak with us. So if in podcast land out there you have a connection with somebody with the Green Party or with the Libertarian Party or whatever party that you would like us to, to interview, we'd be more than do it. I want you to listen to John Boyle. I think he's a dedicated person. He's a successful business person. He's still very involved uh, with the party. Uh, and again, he is the Republican chair 
for the San Mateo County Republican Party. And this is John Boyle. I'm excited for you to be able to listen to him. We want your feedback. And you actually brought up some wonderful points, Patrick. We here at Podcast by the Bay, I think in order for us, as us as hosts, but also as listeners and, and people who are actually looking at all sides of the issues, you got to hear from different sides. And I think we are at a time in our society where I think there is a lot of divide. And I think everybody's going to agree that when you look on your social media profiles, and there's a lot of people just talking at each other, right? They're just talking against each other, but no one's really sitting down and having a discussion and a conversation. And I think that when you do that, and when you do bring people to the table, like we do at our discussion meetups, where we've had different perspectives of ideology and things like that, it's actually very informative. And actually, I think it makes you kind of have a different I think well more well-rounded perspective about really different people. And it's not really a, a very one side or the other side kind of perspective. I think there's a lot of dynamics to this. And I think this is why I really appreciate and we appreciate John Boyle for actually speaking with Podcast Bay. And, we're, and we can present a different perspective from, uh, you know, somebody else who has a, a different perspective. So I think that it's it's great that we're able to do this and we're actually to help really facilitate the bridge. Because I think that's what we need to do in our society right now. We are at a time when people don't want to communicate. They just want to put their uh, ways and that's it. And I think most of us are, are, you know, that's just the way what we what we've become used to. But I think having a discussion with people and really listening to each other and having a dialogue, I think, is important. And I think that's something that in our society today we need more of. And if you listen to our discussion meetup show we had a couple of weeks back, if you listen to some of our interviews, we do like to hear different perspectives. And definitely check out some of our previous episodes where we do have some of these discussions. And we're going to have more panel discussions with more wide range of panel talking about housing, talking about traffic, talking about these various issues. So we're happy to have these different perspectives on the show. Um, and we're pleased uh, to actually present, you know, John Boyle here on Podcast by the Bay. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the John Boyle interview. And if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, if you have any comments about anything and you, you have a show idea, please reach out to us, podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can always reach out to us on Facebook too, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And we're happy to be your friend and, and to really engage with you. And if there's a some, some event that's happening that's really part of really coming up with solutions and things, Give us a call, you know, send us an email, you know, send us an email, send us a message and, and we're happy to, to look into it. So we definitely appreciate all the users feedback and all the listeners. And uh, yeah, please uh, keep on listening to us and uh, spread the word because the more we can spread the word and we can get the word out to all of our listeners and everybody out there, the more I think everybody can can really move our society forward and uh, really where we need to be. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the John Boyle interview and uh We'll catch you on the next time a podcast by the Bay, right? So with that, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time a podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. We have the honor of interviewing John Boyle. John Boyle lives in Menlo Park. He is also the chair for the Republican Party here in uh, San Mateo County. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. Nice well, to meet you. Nice meeting you. Can you give us a little background about where you come from, John? Or I know you're not. You you mentioned earlier you're not originally from here. Yeah, I, um, I've been moving west most of my life. I was born in New York City, actually, uh, but moved out pretty young. Uh, my dad got transferred, and we lived in Chicago for about ten years outside of Chicago, and then in Indianapolis for about another ten. And then I moved out here to California in 1980, and. Um, I've been here more or less ever since. I had a little uh, expat stint uh, work-related where I, I had the good fortune to live uh, outside of London for a couple of years uh, doing work for 3Com Corporation when I was working with them. But other than that, we've been here in California, pretty much here in the Menlo Park kind of area the whole time. What type of work do you do, John? Or did you do? Well, yeah, right now I'm, I'm pretty much retired, uh, doing a lot of nonprofit and community-related organizational work and things. But um, most of my career was in high tech. Um, I was uh, an engineer, electrical engineer by training undergrad at Purdue University back in the Midwest. And then uh, uh, eventually got an MBA at Stanford out here. Um, 
And between those two, I worked a little bit of engineering with, uh, with General Motors way back when, and then uh, kind of a marketing role with Hewlett Packard out here. Um, I worked for a couple of startups uh, that became bigger companies over the years, and then I was in venture capital for a number of years. Um, and uh, I worked, uh, I was an associate with uh, Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield and Byers, and then a full partner with Matrix Partners for a while, and then with Worldview Technology Partners. So all of it really was high tech, but I've been on, <clears throat> pardon me, I've been on the, uh, the marketing, the engineering side, the marketing, uh, I did business development where we worked on mergers and acquisitions when I was at 3Com, and then uh, made the transition over to the investing side where I was investing in startup companies. Wow. So how long have you been in uh, working with the investment companies? Are you still doing it now? No. Well, not not in an institutional way. I still do some mentoring and uh, kind of angel investing a little bit. Uh, we have a group. Um, we call ourselves Silicon Valley Boiler Innovation Group. And Boiler is a play on the words for Purdue. Purdue's mascot are the Boilermakers. Um, and so uh, several alums out here try to help some of the startups, startups back at Purdue to understand the venture capital world, understand entrepreneurism more. Um, so we, we try to work with them to sort of help them think big and think about how they could become a big, successful startup sometimes. So um, that's probably the limit of my high-tech investing these days is really working with those guys. Well, uh, can you give us a little background? I, I <clears throat> did a little research on you. I, I was, were, did you run for city council here in Menlo Park? I did. So uh, let's see, I left the venture capital uh, world um, thinking it was going to be a temporary departure, um, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> um, when, uh, um, let's see, my wife and I had our third child and thought she'd be good to stay at home a little bit more and work from home and do some more things along those lines. And I kind of thought that would be, a sh you know, maybe a few months, maybe a year or so. And the problem is you, you know, you start getting involved in volunteer organizations and, and people tap into you as well. And, and I started to get involved in a few uh, com committees and commissions uh, here in Menlo Park. I was on a what they called a budget advisory committee. Uh, I was asked to sort of participate in helping Menlo Park figure out how to get some of their spending under control. Uh, that led to me being a uh, commissioner on the Transportation Commission. For our listeners, can you kind oh, of sorry. give us some yeah. dates on it? What, what what year was that? Yeah, that was probably in 2004 for the Budget Advisory Committee. And then the Transportation Commission was probably 2005. And then uh, I ran for office uh, for City Council in 2006 and was elected. Um, uh, I served just one term, 2006 to 2010. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, and you know what? It was, uh, Patrick, it was one of the best experiences of my life um, in, in many ways. I equate it to maybe later in life going back to college and, and learning a new field of study or something. I learned so much about my city, about um, government, about um, democracy and, and being a republic, if you will, in this country. And, and, and quite frankly, it opened my eyes. Uh, I, I I would say, honestly, I think I became uh, more moderate in, in many ways, uh, more, maybe, perhaps a little firmer in my position on some things. But I also, you, you know, you really need to, if you want to do the job right, you need to listen to people, even people you disagree with. And, um, it, it, you know, there, there are certain perspectives and points of view that I would have just dismissed out of hand as, an, as a normal citizen. But, you know, when you're sitting up there on the dais and you have to make these decisions and it's yes, no, you know, a lot of these things are gray and very difficult, but ultimately you got to say yes or no in many cases. Um, it, it, uh, it was really eye-opening for me to sort of, I think, learn a lot about why people maybe held a different view than I did. And in many cases, they swayed me to, to come over to their side, so to speak. Um, but it was also a very hard thing. Um, you know, you lose a lot of your privacy. Uh, people who disagree with a decision, especially in today's era of social media and online, you know, posting town forums and things like that, anonymous town forums and things, uh, you know, they attack. And um, I have thick skin. Uh, I'm, I'm an older guy and, and I don't I don't mind too much. But, you know, it, it takes a toll a little bit on your family, you know, on your spouse and your kids. And, and, you know, and people are saying things perhaps about you or about your decisions. I, I, I like to make that point to people. It's like, you know, I, I, my, in fact, my outgoing advice um, to, to my colleagues on council was, you know, I think it's okay, it's fine. It's, in fact, probably preferred to critique each other's decisions uh, and positions. But 
You want to keep it to the decisions and the positions and the actions, not to the personalities. Okay, currently so in uh, Menlo Park, there was an article in the paper they're talking about uh, switching the way the yeah. council people, they were talking more about the district. I don't think they voted on that yet, or is it an upcoming thing? Yeah, they've sort of gone to it. I mean, they've kind of committed to making the change in order to avoid a lawsuit that, that they feared they would lose. Um, most... Um, jurisdictions who have tried to fight it have lost. Uh, there's some reasons to believe that that might change. There's some court decisions pending, I think, down in Southern California right now. And that uh, I, I'm not involved in it. It's not my decision, not my call. But personally, I think it's uh, it's a mistake. I mean, I understand the objective. What you're referring to is there have been some lawsuits that say uh, certain minorities um, specifically are underrepresented in various jurisdictions, various elections. And therefore, more and more or most or all of these jurisdictions should have to elect on a district-by-district district right, basis. Right. So do you think they're going to go through with that? Or, or yeah, you, I you think so. In fact, they're working on They formed a committee right. to, to define what the districts should be. And should they have five districts or three districts plus two at large? Or, you know, how do you... There's, there's some flexibility in how you set it up. But I, you know, personally, I, I, I mean, I get it for a state or a county you know, something you need to maybe divide it up because it's so big and so expensive for somebody to run, and especially somebody who maybe comes from a, a disadvantaged situation. Um, in, in a city like Menlo Park, I think all it does is divide us more. I mean, I, I can tell you absolutely, and it kind of goes to what I was saying before, you, you listen to everybody. To some degree, sometimes you have to, right? You're at a meeting. To some degree, hopefully, you proactively go out and talk to people. I spent a lot of time in all different geographic regions, all different demographic regions and, and types of people in our city meeting with people and going to meetings. We held, we'd hold city council meetings in different locations. We would go to different community organizations and community groups because I, I wanted to and I needed to understand the perspective for people all over the city. Well, I'm assuming they still call on you in, in Menlo Park for advice. Is that still the <laughs> case? Are you still a little bit indirectly involved in the Menlo Park politics? Well, you know, I, I, um, I care about our city and um, I, I did support, I endorsed, in fact, all five current city council members and, and I consider them friends. I don't always agree with everything they decide, like anything, of course, but but uh, yeah, so I try to help. Uh, occasionally, I'll call them or email and say, "Hey, you know, I have a couple of thoughts on this." Uh, occasionally, they call me as well. Still, but you know, I'm a I'm yesterday's news on that. So, uh, it, it you know, I'm not. Uh, don't get me wrong; it's not like I'm behind the scenes pulling strings or anything like that. I don't really have any influence per se. I don't think as much as. I'd like to think that they know me, like me, and respect me, and so... Well, that's good news, and we appreciate when people are, are putting themselves out to be a public servant, because it's quite important. Uh, with that said, I know that um, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What, what's your opinion on happening with the housing crisis that we're seeing in the peninsula? Any, any opinion on how we could solve it, or um, are, are, are you thinking that there's some way that the state or your Google or your Facebook yeah. or all these technology companies should help in a hand? You know, I know currently Facebook is is putting some money up out there to yep. uh, for the, the bridge. Yeah. Uh, and so, well, for other things as well, yeah. they, they're trying to help on housing and things. And I think that's great. And it's it's uh, I don't mean to take anything away from it. It's some, somewhat self-interested. Right. They they need to make it easier for their employees to get to work and to live near work, ideally, and things. Um so there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm I'm much more of a overall. I'm a market guy. You know, I I I am a believer in letting the markets be efficient. You know, I'm sort of in the school of thought that says, you know, government should step in when it has to, not necessarily when it wants to. I think actually that is Patrick. One of the things that distinguishes politicians, especially at a local level, is I think they're the you know because we're just volunteers. We're not generally professional politicians. And there's some people who come at problems from the situation of, or from the perspective of, you know, if you see a problem, government should step in and try to fix it and help if they can. And others, and I put myself in this latter category, say, you know, government should stay out of it until they have to. Um, if there's a real problem or if there's something that can't be solved, you know, at a community level, then maybe you step in. Are, so, are we there yet? Do you, do you think, I mean, with the housing crisis and the, uh, are we there yet? Do I think th government has caused the problem. To okay. tell you the truth, I think it's a supply and demand issue. You okay. know, the, the amount of housing that has been built is way too low for the demand. I mean, it's a pretty simple thing, which then drives up the price. And, and, and I think, quite frankly, a lot of the government policies uh, make it worse. You know, when you... 
uh, when you, I understand it's all well-intentioned and there's some benefits certainly to some of these uh, programs where, for example, you'll tell a developer if you build above a certain number of units, you have to allocate 15% of them to below market rate pricing and, and put them in this pool and things. Well, one of my pet peeves is we, we, we encourage development, which is positive towards corridor transportation yep, areas. Yep. And, and the unfortunate thing is, is there's, we still build the parking and we still build it and there's no correlation or anything that indicates building near those areas that the people are actually taking public transportation. Well, no, I think that I'm not sure that's completely true. I know that uh, our zoning and, and, and development guidelines, uh, the amount of parking, it's kind of interesting. It's a double-edged sword. There'd be a minimum amount of parking that a developer had to provide. But in some cases, we'd also require a maximum amount. They would not let them build mm. something that had more than X number of parking spaces per you know housing unit. Uh, for for exactly the kind of reason you're suggesting that, you know, I think to some degree the the local agency in that case wanted to discourage people from driving. And, and so the idea would be, hey, you know, force them to have fewer cars. That means they'll utilize public transit more. And and I think you could have a debate about the wisdom of that even, to tell you the truth. But, but you know, I, a lot of people have, I'll give you a quick example. I, I have two cars. I have one big car for when I need to haul around a lot of people or gear or go up to the mountains. Mm-hmm. And then I have a smaller car. Yeah, if you force me to only have one car, it'll be the bigger one that uses more gas and causes more pollution. And I'll drive that big one around all the time because sometimes I have to have the big car. So by allowing me to have two, I'm actually being more efficient, right? I'm, I'm polluting less. I'm driving the small car most of the time and, and uh, the big car only when I need to. So I'm not sure some of these policies, again, well-intentioned, but they don't always pan out. Okay. Going back to the housing thing, yeah. I know that... Um, Kenyatta College, colleges San Mateo, of course, Stanford had that model a long time ago, and Facebook is working on it, which is campus housing. What's, what's your opinion about campus housing, um, which is to facilitate um, education employees? Is, yeah. Does that make sense? You know, there's a lot. It's like everything, right? There's good and there's bad. Uh, you know, some of the good pieces about that is, is clearly they can subsidize the housing that way and they can... Uh, reduce the amount of traffic and transit because people who work there or go to school there live there perhaps and things. So that's all goodness. But it, of course, adds to some challenges as well. I mean, you know, the classic company town problems of, so what happens if you get fired, right? Or what happens if, um, or or perhaps the flip side of, of that is you feel like you can't leave your job. You feel like you're trapped, right? Because if I leave, I lose my housing, you know, um, and and I know Stanford even over the years has struggled with with this. That, you know, they provide essentially what amounts to subsidized housing for their faculty and things, and and their faculty then it's great they get subsidized housing, but they miss out on the investment opportunity. We were talking earlier about what a great investment real estate historically has been here in the Bay Area. Um, if if you're not buying or you're not getting the equity upside, you know, then in the long run, is that really good for somebody for their retirement planning and things? Um, I would tell you the other thing that comes up sometimes, especially as it pertains to universities, and we're seeing this a little bit right now, you know, Stanford's going to do a pretty big development project, hopefully downtown. A big component of that is going to be housing, but they're a nonprofit um, and their housing um, is therefore. Uh, excused from the property taxes uh, that you would normally pay if it were a, a private developer or, or you or I uh, on our property tax on our housing, so that impacts the local services. Now, they're, Stanford's you know trying to do some things in lieu of that, um, but it's it's tricky, right? Because well, wait a minute, there's all those people, and some of them are going to have kids and families, maybe going to the schools and using the fire department and using all the other uh, public uh, services, but not paying into the property tax bin. Uh, so it, you know, these things, they, they, you, you, they really are complicated and you got to flesh them out. In general though, to short answer your question, sure. I think anything that we can do to encourage people to build more housing is probably a good thing. Okay. Um, one of the, um, and I, I'm excited about real estate as you, we happen to be in one of the four states that has the highest value in real estate. Yeah. And, and uh, that's exciting, but also it's a little challenging now with the new tax bill that's been passed with the limitations right. on deductibility. How do you feel about it? Uh, you know, I, m- mixed emotions. I, I think uh, on balance, I, I'm, uh, uh, I, I support the tax reform. And I think, you know, I put it in the category of there's always going to be some good with the bad. 
And, and yeah, you know, we lose out on some things here in California in particular um, because of our situation, not only the high values, but also the, the higher taxes we pay, you know, being less, dedu- less deductible on federal re- returns. So there's certainly some downsides. On the other hand, I think there's big pluses and, you know, you can't lose sight of that, right? That, okay, so maybe we're going to have less deductibility or we're going to have some other downsides. But if that tax reform stimulates the economy... That creates jobs, that helps companies grow, uh, their stocks go up, which helps our IRAs and our 401ks and our investments, you know. And so there's, you know, on balance, I think it's uh, it was a good thing. And I'm glad that w- that our, our government did that. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a challenge uh, at, a, at a local individual level. Well, it's kind of exciting. We're not quite sure how it's going to end up. But if, like you said, if it helps to stimulate jobs and it helps yeah. to bring revenue Back to the country, that's great. Yeah. I think that's that's a real important thing. Um, so the, the transportation, we, we were kind of talking about that a little bit, and I think maybe we'll, I'm going to kind of try to jump in a little bit. Um, currently, um, San Mateo County, uh, the Caltrans is up. The ridership is up, but mm-hmm. the Samtrams is down. Yeah. Um, and I have my opinion, but I would like to hear your opinion. Why do you think uh, the Samtrams is down? You know, I, I'm not an expert on that at all. I would suggest, though, that, um, you know, it has to do with how far somebody's going to travel and how much they want to deal with traffic. So, you know, here in Menlo Park, if I want to go to the city, like for a Giants game or something else, or my son uh, and his fiance live up there, you know, go visit them, uh, a lot of times we'll end up taking the train just because it's easier. You know, I don't have to hassle with traffic and I don't have the unpredictable. It's nice. I've taken the train yeah, several you know, times. So, so to get up yeah. to the city, it's long enough that it's worth mm-hmm. the investment of getting to the train station, getting on, buying the ticket, everything else, parking. Um, if it's a shorter ride, you know, I'm just trying to get to Redwood City or San Carlos. Is it worth it to get on Samtram, uh, on the bus, so to speak? Um, you know, the, the benefit is maybe not as great um, because it's a shorter distance. And so I, I, I kind of think it's a little bit, you know, I suppose the analogy would be, you know, when you make a decision, do I want to fly to L.A. or drive? You know, it, it, it's sort of at some point the distance is great enough that you say we should just pay for it and fly and deal with all the hassles. Um, but if uh, for a shorter distance, sometimes mm. it's easier just to do it yourself. So that would be my theory. But uh, honestly, I, I don't know. what. Well, you know, I, I, we kind of looked at it and I've talked to a few different people on it. And, and yeah. you know, they're all fighting for the same federal or state tax dollar based on ridership. Um, currently, uh, San Mateo County and I'm assuming Santa Clara County is similar. We don't have a transit district. Okay. Correct. Um, so we basically, the only thing that I've, I've attended some symposiums on transportation that we're proud of is a clipper card. But we have um, a lack of communication between the Caltrain, between the BART and all that. Do you, do you think that, um, and, and I know this may go against what maybe your philosophy <laughs> would be, but do you think that we need to get them to communicate, maybe work out a transit district? Or do we, or do, or do we continue to let them fight for those federal and state tax dollars? And and I only think about a couple of years ago here at um, at the Samtram situation, and they had an audit, and mm-hmm. unfortunately they found out that somebody was fudging on the ridership. And I'm assuming the reason why they were fudging on the ridership is it meant state or federal money coming in. Yeah. So what do we do with that? Well, I, I think it's a great question, and. Um, and by the way, you know, the, one of the ballot initiatives uh, that uh, um, I, I'm against, actually, the the, um, the toll increases that's going to fund RM3, it's called RM3, it will part, one of the things it'll do is fund sort of an overseer, a new role, a new person to sort of help coordinate, you know, and, and dictate to some degree um, the various projects and to try to increase the coordination. Again, well-intended, good goal. I think it's the wrong direction, though. I think the problem is, look, in business, right, you don't need an overseer to tell three or four different companies to cooperate or to work together, right? The government doesn't need to step in and tell Apple to, co- to coordinate on certain things with their partners or Google to coordinate with their partners. They do it because it, it helps them reach their goals. And so if you, if you set the goals correctly, I think these businesses, and even though they're public agencies, they're, they're a business, right? They'll f- try to figure out. I mean, it, it, you would think, right, that if you if you have the goals right, 
Caltrain would want to coordinate as well as possible with BART and with Samtrams and with, you know, all the other agencies so that they could maximize business. They could get, make it easy for their customers, right, to, to partner. Well, so, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. That's exciting. I had an opportunity to interview the mayor and uh, Milbrae, Gina Pampin, yeah. um, and we were just talking about the communication that BART to the airport and she was telling me that they don't go very often, that they don't actually go as often as they could. Because who, who say they? Uh, Bart. Oh, Bart, Bart doesn't go. Bart's, uh, oh, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't go the, in. The trains don't go into the airport. It, yeah, yeah, as often. And, yeah. and since they're in, kind of like in the arm pit, so to speak, of the airport and a, a lot of culturals coming in and out, um, why is that not happening? I, I when I spoke with and you know I like I like your your analysis yeah. here. Um, you use the Apple and the Google, but how can we get those entities? Because their thought process is different than what you're saying. I yeah. wish it was. Yeah. I wish they were looking at it as a business in a business model, but I don't think they are. Well, I think sometimes it's. Because these agencies are uh, set up to, you know, again, well-intended consequences. You subsidize something. So, in fact, in, in some cases, uh, the agency's losing money on every rider, so to speak, right? The way they maybe look at it is they say, well, we actually lose money on each rider. And so they're not incented to try to grow ridership. It's just sort of counterintuitive. And, I mean, you see that. There's other reasons. But, um, you know... Utilities, water companies, and often in cases, their their incentive is to try to get people to use less water. It's like, well, wait a minute, aren't you in the business of selling water? Now I understand it's for environmental reasons and there's other things, but but you you have to make sure the incentives are right. And so if if you reward Caltrain, if Caltrain and their executives who run it, if they make more money personally and as an agency when they sell more tickets, when they have more people riding it, I mean, if that if you make that the, the criteria, but see the problem is that's not how it's run, right? We're we regulate how much they can charge. We regulate how they can do this and how they can do that. And, and, and so their incentives oftentimes are um, other factors beyond just sort of ridership. So we don't really give them a, a business model to work with. Well, the business model we give you them is that we're going to subsidize it through state or federal funds based on so ridership. So then they chase subsidies, yeah. right? They chase subsidies rather than more riders. And and again, there's good reasons for that, right? You, if you if you just made it a pure business, part of the problem, of course, is I'm not naive. They they have a monopoly, right? And so, if it were a pure business, they would raise prices, and then perhaps only the rich would be able to afford riding it, or they would cater more toward. I think them. that's a philosophy, but I'm yeah. not sure whether that's true. I I, I kind of go yeah. along with what you're saying. There. I think there's ways that yeah. you could address that, and so that's you just have to be careful that in an effort to make sure that something. Um, is a service to all, which it should be because it's a public you know, service, that you don't lose out on the incentive to make it better, to make it... Okay, know. I'm going to give you the magic wand. Now, we've, we've just talked about that. How do you think we can do this? How, how do you think... I mean, we've, we've talked about the limitations with, you know, the uh, federal and state money and the... Supposedly, you brought up a good point, the inequity if if we let it under the free capitalist thing and yeah. uh, supply and demand that somebody would be not able to to ride a bus or take bar right i well, I think again i you know look I, I have opinions on it obviously but but i i I'm not an expert I don't sit on the board, never did sit on the board of Caltrain or Caltrans or any of the agencies um, but I think it starts at the top and you look at um, how do you motivate or what incentives do you put in place for the for the leadership team as well as the employees. And if you reward them, just like any business, they make more money or they have more job security or whatever it is, the, the proper incentive based on whatever you whatever we collectively decide are the most important. Well, here's, here's, here's a couple of good examples of what you're saying. And in, in, in one way it worked and one way it didn't. I know when we had that earthquake in Los Angeles, um, they, they put some real incentives with the contractors to get that freeway up. And by God, they got that free, freeway up on time. And right. I think we were all impressed. Right. Um, and, and governments um, sometimes say, you know, you've got to put it out uh, fairly to the best bidder and it's got to be equitable. Well, recently the Bay Bridge um, is kind of a controversial and it probably may become even more controversial, um, primarily because of the steel that was put into, in, into the bridge. Not that, be, that it came from China, yeah. but we want to bring that up, but the bridge is falling apart. Yeah. Uh, there's bolts coming on that. So 
so they, I'm assuming uh, the government entity that, that put the bid out for the bridge went for the highest and, and, and best thing. So, I mean, uh, how do we balance those two? That's a, that's a tough one. How would you balance that? I mean, we've, we've got a big bridge that, that I think they put out to the right bidder. They got it done in a reasonable fashion, but we've got problems. Well, you know, it, again, I, I I wouldn't know all the details of what happened and who did what, but it, any project, you know, whether it's done by the best company in the world or the worst company in the world, sometimes they make mistakes, right? And some and so you you got to look back, you got to do a review, a post mortem, so to speak, and say what went wrong, and then let's figure out how to fix it for next time. And so, you know, they don't go to the lowest bidder generally in these things. They don't go to the highest bidder generally. Um, there are certain rules and limitations as to who they'll, you know, award a contract to, of course. But I think, you know, the, the, the this is, in fact, the fear of letting government agencies work too much like just businesses. Is The problem is that in the private sector, sometimes businesses fail, right? They build something that, that doesn't work, has bugs or fails or whatever else. And, you know, to some degree, we can't afford to take that risk, right? If you're talking about building a bridge or a new extension to BART or whatever it might be, we do have to, and it's appropriate probably to spend more than just the cheapest, you know, value engineering kind of thing, because we have to have a system that, that, uh, that can last and that we can depend on because it's, we can't afford to have, it's the only agency doing it. So we have to make sure they do it right. Well, I think we kind of learned that lesson a while back with the, the, uh, the, um, astronauts and we we found out that the uh, the probability and when we lost those astronauts and when they went into air they the probability theories they didn't quite bring that probability of risk out to a higher degree and that maybe they kind of compromised a little bit yeah. but i i think you bring a very valid point i want to go back to the housing thing because yeah. i want to talk about a buzzword that's going on the peninsula and that's called uh, affordable housing or workforce housing Okay. Um, affordable housing sometimes means based on the San Mateo County demographics right. of, of maybe um, a family of uh, three or a family of one or whatever it may be. W- what's your opinion on workforce housing? Because we are losing teachers and we are losing um, you know bankers and the middle of the road professionals that we need out here. Um, so do you, do you think that incorporated in each city, they, they should have something like workforce housing? No, I would not okay. agree with that. Okay. I, I think, again, you know, this sounds harsh perhaps, but that's part of supply and demand. Part of the way the market and, and any region or any economy evolves is, is yeah, you get a shortage of, of certain professionals who can't afford to live there anymore. Guess what? The price of those services goes up. And, and so then perhaps people decide to move elsewhere. And so, I mean, we don't have unlimited capacity to, to I mean, we, we can't afford to have the population of the Bay Area uh, quadruple, right? I mean, there's just no place to put people, right? So to some degree, you do reach, at least over a given period of time, you reach a capacity and, and it's okay if some people decide that, you know what? Maybe we'll go live somewhere else. Maybe we'll move somewhere else because you, you can't just sort of say, wow, we, we need to make sure that anybody and everybody who wants to live in the Bay Area can. Um, so, and again, I think when you start creating classes of housing that are designated for certain people, that's good, I suppose. But what you do is you're crowding out other people. You're picking the winners and losers and government shouldn't be in the business of picking winners and losers. If you say we are going to force 20% of the housing or 15% of the housing to be for low income, well, the wealthy can always afford to buy. So guess who gets squeezed? It's the middle, right? So all the hardworking people who, who are taking care of themselves and who have invested in their future and have worked hard and are making a, a moderate amount of income, they're the ones who actually pay the price because they can't compete with the uber wealthy and they can't compete with the poor, right, who are getting subsidized. So it, it's, you know, I think it's just... It, it's it's good intention and it's and it's a great idea to try to help you know with the low income housing. On the other hand, if it's at the price of crowding out the middle income, uh, I don't see how that is a good solution. I, okay, you know the only distinction I want to kind of make in between there, um, um, I'm I'm understanding the low income situation. I understand the affordable. I think okay when we talk about it uh, low income to me or is subsidized housing okay. which means maybe federal or state or county or whatever yep. it may be 
Um, but workforce or affordable housing um, is is making housing for your police and fire. One of the one of the major problems that we have with transportation and traffic right now in the peninsula, I, I would assume a good portion, but I, I couldn't tell you how much that is, are those people that are living out of the area. They can't, right. they can't afford, they, they may be your teacher. Right? right, they have to live all the yeah. way tracing yeah. commute in every day, yeah. which is not great for their no. lifestyle, not great for our environment, not yeah. great for traffic. Right. And you just don't think there's any solution I, for that or not? No, I, I just think, I think you let the market take okay. care of it. The market will okay. take care of it eventually, okay. right? Because if, if no teacher can afford housing, We'll have a shortage of teachers, which means then what? We'll have to pay the teachers more. If we have to pay the teachers more, then they can't afford to buy the housing. If it gets to the point where it's so expensive to pay those teachers that much that the taxpayers aren't willing to pay anymore, you know, then it starts to impact the schools. If the schools start to get, don't get me wrong, I'm not in favor of this, but it starts to impact the schools. Well, then there'll be less demand for people to want to live in that school district. And they'll say, well, why don't we live in this school district over here in Tracy or, or somewhere else? And so, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's not a, gee, I want to block anybody from being able to live here. I'm insensitive to that. It's more a matter of, hey, spread the wealth geographically. You know, why why are we rigging the system to try to make everybody want to live in the same place? Let's spread it out. Let's make it so that, you know, the school districts relatively improve in other areas as well. And then more people want to live there and teachers can afford to live there. And you know, I, I just think the market will take care of itself over time. There'll be some periods of difficulty and challenge. It, it's, it's not necessarily fair in, in all cases and all periods of time, but there's no perfect system. And I think, I think it, over centuries, you know, our, our, system, our system of capitalism and, and market supply and demand has worked pretty well for this country. Well, I want to congratulate you, first of all, for being the chair of the Republican Party out here in San Mateo County. How long have you been the chair? Uh, about a little over a year now, a little over a year. So I, I was elected in January of 2017. And you've been active with the party in San Mateo County for a while? Yeah, I first started getting involved when I was running for office here in Menlo Park. And um, while I was on council, I, I wasn't on the committee, but I would attend meetings occasionally. And then after I left city council, that was one of the ways that I figured, well, I don't want to be on council anymore. Um, you know, I opted not to run after first term. Uh, but I said, why don't I get involved at the county level on the central committee? And, and if, if I can, let me just explain, you know, we probably were going to go into this anyway, but the, the core mission of the central committee, and, and I think, by the way, the other parties, central committees are, are similar. Um, it, it's to focus on local elections and it's to focus on trying to engage more local people and specifically in our case, Republicans to run for office. Um, you know, there's, there's over 400 elected officials in San Mateo County. Um, if you count all the city councils, school boards, wastewater districts, fire districts, healthcare districts, there's a lot of, uh, special districts, you know, uh, but if you, if you add them all up around the County, all the cities and, and districts, there's over 400 of us who volunteer to, uh, provide public service. Uh, most of those positions are not paid or only nominally paid, perhaps as a small stipend. Um, and so they truly are people who are giving back in a, in a volunteer way. Um, our, our mission as a San Mateo uh, GOP Central Committee is to, is to recruit more Republicans to run for office, help them in their campaign, and help them once they're elected. Um, I thought that's a great mission. That was something for me, having been a public official and having run and had to, to some degree figure it out on my own in, in many cases to say, you know, it'd be great if we had an, you know, it'd be great to serve on that organization that's trying to help people like you and me, perhaps, or who, who might want to run for office at some point. And so um, that's really what we focus on. And, and I think it's a, it's a great mission, not per se to me, political Republican versus Democrat, but, you know, I look at it as, you know, if you had an entity whose, whose mission was to help encourage more women to run for office or more Latinos to run for office or more African-Americans to run for office, you know, we're kind of like that. We're basically saying, hey, we want to make sure, you know, any our government served best when it's diverse and diverse, not just in race, you know, or sex, but diverse in thought process and philosophy. And, you know, it's a real problem here in the Bay Area. There's Republicans, it's a pretty small minority anymore in terms of voter registration. Um, and, and I'd like to think that, that overall our community will be served better 
if the Republicans sort of conservative values, fiscal, you know, responsibility and individual responsibility and liberty, if those things are are brought to the table. Well, I, I kind of agree with you on that. Well, I'm honored also to know um, a couple of your board members. Yeah. Linda Kelly lives in Foster yep. City. And, Linda's great. And I've talked to Linda several times, yep. and uh, I know she's been real proactive, uh, and I think she's your secretary? Or no, no, person? she's the third vice chair. Third vice chair. And, and that means she's responsible uh, really for, for our core mission. Uh, the third vice chair is responsible for essentially uh, helping to recruit candidates, making, guiding the overall committee on endorsement decisions, and then helping support their campaigns. So really our whole central committee revolves around trying to support the work that the third vice chair. So for our viewers out there that don't go out to your website or listeners out here, could you tell us when you meet? We meet once a month, uh, the second Thursday of every month, um, uh, pretty much every month. Sometimes we'll take a holiday in December. But um, And uh, the, the committee is about 30 people. The number varies a little bit because of uh, who, who's involved. But, you know, it's roughly 30 uh, people who um, mostly are elected. Um, they're on the ballot. You, you know, you actually vote for your representative uh, your Republican representative to the Central Committee, and if you're Democrat, if you're registered Democrat, you would do the same for the Democrat Central Committee. Um, so most of these people are either elected to the Central Committee or they're appointed as ex officio. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you were the Republican candidate for uh, congressional district or state assembly um, in San Mateo County, then you're automatically on it as an ex officio. And now, is Art Giesel also on that? Art is as well. Okay, great. Art's interesting. He was. Uh, he 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 had the ability to some degree to hold two seats because he was elected to the central committee outright, but he also was appointed as an ex officio. Uh, we don't allow somebody to hold two seats, so he he uh, gave up his ex officio seat to take the. Now the we have term. Mark Watson too, so yep. you, you've got quite a few people um, from my area down yeah, there yeah. Um, doing it. And I was impressed with your website. I mean, not only because I like Abraham Lincoln and, <laughs> and you had Reagan on there. Uh, just a little trivia. I don't know if you're aware that um, in Burlingame, which was named after Anson Burlingame, and uh, Ralston gave them the property. Anson Burlingame was uh, Abraham Lincoln's uh, ambassador to China. Wow. And and after being ambassador to China, after Lincoln was not there, China asked him to become an ambassador for China. So interesting trivia. Wow, I did so, not know that. Thank no. you for sharing that. I'm a big, yeah. I'm a big uh, fan, of course, of, of Lincoln. I think he was probably our best president ever. And but I didn't, I didn't know that there was a tie to Burlingame. Yeah, it was a tie. And you know, you ought to meet the mayor of Burlingame, Mr. Brownbrig. Okay. Uh, he was a foreign diplomat, or came from a foreign diplomat family, and he worked under, uh, I think, two or three Republican presidents, and. Uh, he was talking about local government and how more it's it's more important to worry about local government because local government gets things done. You know, I, I don't know him, but I would like to meet him. When I was on city council in Menlo Park, we there's a um, there's an informal organization of city council members from all over the county, from every city, and they would meet once a quarter. Each city would take turns hosting it, um, and I really enjoyed that. It gave me a great opportunity to meet. The people who at that point in time, again, this is 2006 to 2010, the people who were on Burlingame City Council as well as Daly City and Half Moon Bay and Foster City. And I learned a lot from my colleagues, if you will, and, and it was a great entity. And I love the fact that it was very nonpartisan. I don't think any of us knew, you know, who was Republican or Democrat. We didn't care. We were all just sort of sharing ideas on how to address some of the common well, issues. Well, I, I encourage you. One of our philosophies at Podcast by the Bay is to get all those mayors. I told you we have approximately 10 right now. But take a look on Podcast by the Bay because okay. you can yeah. listen to, uh, to Mr. Brownrigg's uh, interview, too, and you'll learn a lot about him. But we're hoping to have a better communication with all of our, our councils and our city officials for the public yeah, so that they have access. Because yeah. um, you brought up some really good issues on housing and transportation. Everybody shares similar views than yours, not necessarily the same ones. Right, and right. That you, you want them to have different. Yeah. Anything closing you'd like to say with Podcast by the Bay? No, I, I, I'd like to thank you for doing this. I think, um, not for interviewing me per se, but I, I think that the ability to have the public better understand local officials, because let's face it, right, it's hard to keep track of who's even on your city council in, for most people. Um, and so the ability to listen in, in an informal way and, and learn uh, from their elected leaders, and uh, I think it's wonderful. So thank you for doing it. Thanks. We appreciate that, John. Thanks from Podcast right. by the Bay. 
feel that groove. That was the D Blues Jam featuring Mr. D Blues himself on lead guitar. And I was playing bass on that one and an organ on there. So feel that groove. Uh, and uh, that's D Blues from Uptown Music. And you can check him out on Yelp under Uptown Music Productions. And uh, he's still doing guitar lessons. So if you're interested, please contact him through Yelp. All right. Well, hope you enjoyed that. And uh, we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.